Hi, I'm James Brooks, and welcome to From the Factory Floor, a conversational podcast about all things startup and tech, brought to you by the folks at startupfactory.tech. And welcome back to another episode of From the Factory Floor. I'm very kindly joined today by Rob, who is a founder we've been speaking a lot to, and the founder of Gigmate. Hi, Rob. Hey, James. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, it's uh, it's cold, blustery and wet in Manchester, but that's just another day in Manchester, to be honest, these days. And I can't imagine it's too much better in Liverpool. It's not, no. Pretty much the same. Yeah, it's just getting there. It's that wind down to Christmas, isn't it? Saying that, not not that not that anyone in startup world really has a wind down, but yeah, everyone else is. <laughs> it's always the thing, you know, whether it's always be fundraising, always be selling, whatever, always be something or other. I think every founder's doing all of it all the time. So, no, it's always good to chat to you, Rob. And really what I want to do today is um, give you a chance to introduce yourself and really a little bit about Gigmate, your journey. So how about we start with, you know, why don't you tell the folks out there, Rob, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, brilliant. Thanks, James. So I've worked in live events for about 20 years now and been had had like mad passion for all kinds of music, really, and going along to gigs since I was probably far too young to be allowed to get into gigs. So that, 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 that's been a while. Um, but yeah, lucky enough to then take that into a career working for arenas, for sports venues, festivals. And, and, and that was all great until COVID came along. And um, obviously, yeah, yeah, really, really smashed through that and hospitality. And, and both areas are still in, in recovery, really. Um, but yeah, I really struggled having the events taken away from me from kind of obviously from a professional perspective, but also from a personal perspective as well. You, you don't realize how much you, you kind of love and need something until it's taken away. And that was certainly was was the thing with the live music. Um, and then I found as the events came back online, obviously they'd been rescheduled kind of three or four times. So I was going along to gigs with people that I just wasn't really connected with, tickets had been passed around. So going with people that kind of friends of friends of friends. Um, and it just suddenly kind of light bulb moment that because we liked the same kind of music, we weren't necessarily like super fans of the bands we were going to see, but it was just an amazing icebreaker. And you just found that you had an automatic connection for kind of the hour in the pub before the gig and the hour after. It wasn't that kind of awkward um, starting up point that sometimes you can get on those kind of platonic um, meetups. So yeah, that's where the idea came from. Yeah. So is it so a little bit about Gigmate then? Because like you say, you've always, you've always had a background in music and entertainment. So when you know you said you're going with people you don't know, what's the what's the real thing here that you're trying to fix with Gigmate? Like, what's the real problem that you're trying to solve? Yeah, so it's it's twofold really, but the, the core driver for Gigmate is to provide a platonic matching service for people who want to go along to live events, but they just haven't got anyone who is either into that music or is available at that point in time. Potentially, and a lot of people I've spoken to, they'll kind of go along with their partner, their girlfriend, their boyfriend, but they're kind of dragging them along as a plus one. Most of the time, they don't actually want to be there. Um, but they're just kind of making up the numbers. So it's kind of giving that opportunity for people to 
connect with people that are into the same kind of music as them and then ultimately take that into a gig environment and it came through a piece of research that we did about 18 months ago where we spoke to over 500 music fans and 85% of them said they'd missed out on going to a gig because they didn't have anyone in their personal network specifically for that event so that kind of really flagged it up and then the second part of this is as I worked in live music for a long time it's the industry is really struggling at the moment and at grassroots stage it's it's really sad and um, statistic that 20 percent of the grassroots music venues are going to be closing this year for a whole host of reasons um predominantly economic through the impact of covid and then the challenges that we've got currently and it's very unlikely that those venues will reopen again once they're closed down. Obviously, the the areas will be repurposed and we'll lose a lot of that kind of the the base fabric for what is an amazing industry for, for the UK. So, yeah, really want to try and help out there as well in terms of generating extra tickets and extra revenue for those venues. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I personally, I've been to gigs when or well, I've been to gigs on my own, which is never a it's an interesting experience to go on your own um but i say because a lot of people don't have the same music taste and there's not necessarily someone there who is gonna have the same music taste as you within your friendship group so having someone like that i think especially at the moment you know imagine there's an element of loneliness that comes with that as well that people are feeling isolated and you know especially at the moment with the way the world is having a tool there which gives people that ability to connect with people who've got similar interests isn't just a good thing for the industry but just from a socio sort of standpoint yeah it's actually really helpful yeah definitely and i think that um loneliness as a phrase can be quite triggering because people obviously don't want to be classed as lonely but this kind of social real life disconnection is such a huge factor and i think james we, we've touched upon this in terms of kind of my view of classic loneliness is is kind of the little old lady at the end of the street um the the figures are saying that this is a much younger demographic and it's actually 18 to 35s are the are feeling the worst about this and and they're actually feeling twice as lonely as people who are kind of 70 75 plus when they've done the research so these they're the age groups that are uber connected digitally but for, for whatever reason they're not they're either not able to develop or the opportunities aren't there to de- to create kind of the supportive in real life connections um which obviously is so so essential for them yeah it's and it's an interesting one to try and get people into that mindset that you know you can connect with people online and you can do it i mean we've seen it enough with dating apps these days is probably the biggest you know people are in a mindset now where they can just go and meet some random person effectively or somebody who's chatted to and have a have a connection with them whether it's you know dating apps or you know friendship apps almost where it's more of a platonic thing so I think moving this into a space which is more tailored to music, which is something what a lot of people, everyone's got an interest in music. How much, yeah. no matter how diverse it is. I mean, you know, I speak about myself and Ian. I grew up listening to all of his music, which is um, very, very much Manchester music. But you know, I've got yes. friends who are very different taste to me, 
doesn't you know being friends with them but it means you gives the ability for you to go and then meet other people who've got the same interests and eventually that friendship group becomes something far more of interest and something far more yeah for people and i think the, the key factor here is you're you're going to an event um ultimately you get to choose whether you want to go on a one-to-one so basically the 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 the, the functionality of it is you'd say what age group you are what gender you are and what music type or we class it as tribes what kind of music genres you're into and then who you want to meet up with on a age gender but also group size and what we're finding is through there are obviously um some safeguarding concerns around any of these applications especially where there's a lack of visibility of who you're actually getting matched up with and how so we're really really clear that that that, that's a key element here you pick your group size you might not feel comfortable in a one-to-one environment so then select a larger size group and it still will make sure that all of your profiles match so that your your that connection runs across the whole of the group yeah i mean there's all the thing is what say safeguarding is always a big issue in applications like this but you know, you can take steps and I'm sure you've got ideas in the pipeline for, you know, organized things like this and, you know, not quite the speed dating level, but almost something a bit like that. So stepping away a little bit from the idea, Rob, like, so if we start thinking about your journey and how you got to this, how have you found actually trying to be a a tech founder? Because obviously it's very different from the entertainment industry. It is, is, and that, that does still make me laugh i think someone called me a developer the other day and i had to look around and see who was stood behind me <laughs> but but i think that there's a there's obviously a lot of kind of cross-functional stuff um yeah i worked full-time for like 20 years in the event industry but that wasn't a typical kind of nine to five sat at a desk job it was very huge variety um, i was focused around sales and marketing and partnership and and those are key drivers as a founder you need to understand um where those commercial opportunities are and more importantly how to, how the hell you spread out a very small amount of money certainly as a bootstrapped founder who, who hasn't kind of gone for investment and i'm kind of going going alone on that front at the moment you you need to um be really 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 clear kind of what your objectives are and how where where you can get to with that level of investment so i know it's a classic thing but it is all about identifying the problem do the research as we did and then it's that constant iteration throughout that process and i think like we we spoke very early on and we, we were laughing kind of my first mvp for this was literally kind of fag packet me with an excel sending emails to people hey do you want to go to this and just just a pure manual with me behind the scenes hopefully hopefully it was a classic swan thing of it looked quite slick from a customer point of view but it was it was very yeah <laughs> very nuts and bolts um behind the scenes but it worked so 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 obviously that was a good test um and then uh then kind of taking that forward and and moving that into a mobile format and again kind of my expectations was that i'd be paying probably not short of six figures for kind of what i wanted uh, from a mobile app but i certainly didn't have that at all so um ended up going down the no code route no code low code and, and actually built dev and launched something for 
a significant fraction of, of that amount, just kind of some bootstrap funding that I managed to pull together, uh, which then took the MVP to the next level. So uh, we trialled it in Liverpool to start with, really successful there, extended it out to Manchester Leeds, and then even ventured down south. And it, the service is now available in London and Brighton as well. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that I've always admired, Rob, from, you know, you look at the journey you've gone on as a founder, you know, tech's a big, scary, very expensive world. You know, you've gone from, do, you've, and I think you've done all the right things in terms of, I think a lot of people can take a lot from your journey, what you've done in terms of do a very, make something that's very manual, that, you know, proves the traction, proves the need, lets you test the ideas, test the marketing, the onboarding people. And then, honestly, you know, even as speaking as TSF, where we want to build MVPs, I think for a lot of people, taking that low-code, no-code route, which I know we discussed, is actually the best thing to do because what a lot of investors now want to see when they say we're early stage but we want to see traction, you know, realistically, showing some sales is something that's very useful to be able to do. So being able to then create something, you know, for a fairly low cost to prove that traction, generate some revenue or generate a number of users that's going to interest people to then go, I need, you know, the raise actually to build this properly. It's to make it scalable, all the good stuff that comes with a, a purpose built MVP. I think you've done the journey you've gone through and, you know, doing that, I think it's very admirable. And I think a lot of, Founders out there should probably take a few pages out of your book. As to, oh, appreciate that. <clears throat> appreciate that. I mean, I think, I think, I think that ultimately the thing that I really enjoy, um, and it, it, it must be to my personality, is like that constantly learning, and it is like your <laughs> your brain is just exhausted because you are a sponge you're just taking everything on board and it is constantly changing so even just like well i can give you an example for from the last couple of weeks and it feels like so i've just put out um some posts and some content about it's 12 months since we actually launched the service lucky enough to launch the service live on six music which is amazing platform for it and an ideal customer base but 12 months feels like 10 years in terms of kind of the progress and, and time runs on different frames. But yeah, even in the last couple of weeks, kind of quite a major pivot on the business model in terms of previously we were looking at a real kind of pretty much pure B2C subscription model. We're now switching that up to a B2B2C. So we're having some really interesting conversations with venues, with ticketing operators, with promoters as well, who now that we've moved to the mobile platform can see the value for them of it becoming kind of an engagement and potentially a marketing platform for them to promote their artists promote new music and also obviously promote venue venues and gigs so that's really great because if we can keep the service free or potentially freemium for the majority of the users that's the idea that's that's brilliant obviously we've got to create a sustainable business model but i think that kind of focus more to the b2b side also to be honest it probably takes some of the risk out of this from an investor's point of view when we actually start to look to scale we would be dealing with a lot less operators to generate the revenues and also i think another key thing for investors this is my background these are all people i know it's kind of 
this is what I've been doing for the last 20 years. I know all the major arenas and ticketing. Uh, but another one that will make you laugh is, um, so the bane of my life has been the content management, because obviously, as you can imagine, I kind of have a rolling 100 gigs on there. But every weekend, it's like 25 gigs drop off, 25 gigs need to go on. It's a constant battle. So I just worked out that I can get a live, I've had a live API with Skittle to pull that data. I've now, I'm quite proud how geeky I've been. I've worked out how to then automate that into the back end of WordPress. So it actually writes the blog post automatically through the API content. So yeah, I'm very, very proud of myself and my geekiness this week. <laughs> it should be in, you know, doing stuff like that to keep top, you know, something like this where content really is king because you don't own the or you don't have the ability to, you know, organize the gigs yourselves yet. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm waiting for that first gig mate, actual gig mate gig with the uh, headline. Gig mate gig, yeah. <laughs> but the, um, well, the idea of having streams of data to be able to do this because one of the things I think every founder knows, you know, is you wear a lot of hats and there's quite a yeah. lot to do. So anything you can do to automate small parts of your role, which then mean you can go out and whether it's talking to businesses or whatever bits you're going to have to do both in and on the business, it's always going to be a good investment of your time. So how did you find that pivot? Because obviously, like I say, you went from the B2C model, which, you know, I think everyone would probably understand, you know, you're going direct to consumers who want to onboard and want to go to gigs how did you find that pivot in terms of the business model, how the business will go forward from go to now targeting businesses? Was that something that was easy to do? Or to now move into the B2B? That a little bit more complex. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I, I think I always had it in my mind that there would be kind of a partnership stream to the business model um, and and that, that that would be the kind of live music industry, if you like, in terms of the promoters, um, artists even, and, and, and venues. But I just think um, the, the main thing is just how positive the engagement's been with the app to date. So 750 downloads in the first month. Um, and it's not just people putting it on their phone. They are actually really engaging with it. They're setting up their own tribes and communities, which is amazing. Again, lesson for me, I didn't even realize they could do that on the app. So I suddenly the punk tribe popped up and the happy hardcore tribe popped up. So the members have actually built their own communities within the app, which is amazing. And I think it's just my concern that if I move to a subscription model, there's the potential of losing a lot of that, um, losing members. Not everyone is going to want to subscribe. Um, not everybody can afford to subscribe. But also, as soon as you move to it being a commercial model, there's so much risk of being able to maintain the community element when people are paying for something, it is a different moving from commerce to community is or vice versa is very different. So it was just trying to find a way to maintain the accessibility for the app. So there's no constraints on people. People can just download it and, and jump on there for free, but still find a sustainable revenue stream, which I think ultimately will be. Yeah the promoters and the venues uh, and, and potentially the artists themselves. There's no reason why they couldn't use it as a platform to, to jump on and have a chat with their fans and maybe drop some new tracks or it, it's pretty limitless, really. Yeah, and it's what I've always liked about both the business and your tenacity with it is 
it really means that the sky can be the limits for this in terms of you know that whether it's the approach and b2b to c or the direct consumer model and then you know who wants to be involved with this like you say artists might want to interact with fans you know you know without going into the depths of twitter slash x slash whatever elon's going to call it tomorrow (laughs) point was you know you can see what people you know and have levels of interaction with the people you actually want to hear from you know, and the fact that yeah, they're I think creating their own communities is a huge step forward. Yeah, it's massive. And I think it, it's also come from, like, I'm religiously reading Cold Start Problem. Um, I must have, like, read it about three times back to back now because I just keep picking up bits. But kind of that realisation that most of these, they kind of start off with a tool in the middle. Um, and the tool for this is the matching. But ultimately, the values in the network, it's creating that engaged community and making sure that they yeah that that community don't feel like they're being commercialized commodified um but they're getting value out of it as well yeah you always want to add value to users and i think anyone who you know has ever had the issue there's a band they like or a particular type of genre they like and their friends aren't into it so they can never go to gigs i think they'll see that value and any value add on top of that is always going to be a sort of a great thing just very conscious of the time rob because we usually run these for about 25 minutes yeah. is the one takeaway or one learning that you'd want to share with people who are maybe going into you know that founder journey maybe aren't you know as you know confident in tech but have that sort of dream is there any advice that you'd wish someone had given you as you started this journey that you'd want to share with someone i think and you've kind of you kind of touched upon that kind of need for that tenacity. And I know everybody always says resilience, but I think there's been so many opportunities where I could have just backed out of this. And I've been, I'm I'm looking to build a team now. I think that's really key, but again, budget permitting, likely that will be a fractional team of just bringing a few people on for a few days a month, just to kind of build that support network around me and build those advisors um but i think yeah it it is just keep going just keep going would be um and obviously i've taken my own advice to 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 keep doing that but it it is tough it is hard i think that i think key learnings is it's got you've got to be product focused i think that i see so many founders that are investment focused and i do I understand that, but I think that the the market and the sector has changed so much that you you're not going to get investment just on an idea. Um, you've got to have something tangible behind it, and I think that kind of you really are looking at a second, third stage iteration of your MVP um, ra- rather than that kind of first stage idea. And I I quite like that accountability has come in i know um some founders that have been around for longer will say it was it used to be easier used to be able to get that investment but i think from a kind of longer term strategic sustainability you need to you need to really focus on the product but just don't technical support and technical advice is great but you, you you will surprise yourself by what you can actually do yourself as well yeah, I think I think all that's true, and I think you know knowing you and having spoken throughout your journey and where you've 
come through to where you are today with you know gigmate live on the app stores that people can download today there's a little plug for you um <laughs> you know, i think one thing that I'd, i would implore people to do is think what you can do not for 50 grand or 500 grand think what you can do for 50 quid or 500 quid and get it out the door to just either prove some traction you know whether it's going to people like tsf going to early stage investment trying to convince yes. a technical co-founder to come and join you to help you build it any proof that you can get and the cheaper you can do that the better the quicker you can iterate change pivot before you've got you know before you start spending more and putting more risk on this i think anyone should follow that model you've done rob in terms of you know something very manual then do you know what can get a little bit funding off that to create the the next version and then from that version you've got enough scale you're proving the model generate some revenue into actually we're ready for to actually build this properly now we, we know where we're going versus people who you know maybe haven't done that level of validation so anyone out there who's looking at doing this try and get try and build something as quick and cheap as possible it might not be easy it might not be pretty and i think several wise men by now say if you have a proud of your mvp you've waited too long but <laughs> just, just get something launching out there that was going to be like kind of the, the the nutshell advice would be it doesn't have to be perfect I think you see people in that trap. And again, with investment, the work that goes into pitch decks, and I'm not saying the substance isn't there, but the work that goes into kind of the look of them as well, their works of art, are they actually doing that? And I think, yeah, my, my advice would be it doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to add value somewhere. It's got to add value to what your journey is. But it, like you say, it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just needs to hit that objective and then move on to the next one. 100%. So, I mean, thank you very much for joining us, Rob. If people want to download Gigmate and have a look or reach out to you, what's the best way to do either of those things? Yeah, like you say, we're in both the App Store and the Play Store. And then the website has got a bit more information, a bit more background about kind of me and where Gigmates come from is just gigmate.uk. And we're at Gigmate UK on all the socials as well. Even TikTok, which you'd be very pleased to hear. Very pleased. And then uh, if investors want to get in touch, is there an email or the best to reach out to you on LinkedIn? Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn, obviously. But yeah, more than happy, direct email would just be rob at gigmate.uk. And yeah, or any questions, any any founders, anyone who wants to have a chat about kind of my journey and what I've been up to, I'm more than happy. It's always good. And I think that's a key one as well. Never kind of always take those opportunities to have a conversation at, at all levels. Yeah. No, thank you very much, Rob. And I'll uh, I'll put the links and I'll put your email below just for anyone who's re um, listening along. But I really appreciate your time, Brilliant. Rob. It's always good to chat to you. Thank you very much. And for everyone oh, cheers, James. No, you're very welcome. And uh, thank for everyone listening. I think that just about wraps things we'll up here. If you have any thoughts or questions on anything we've said today, get in touch, whether that be through our Twitter at RealTSF or email at hello at startupfactory.tech or feel free to drop in for a coffee and a chat. As ever, thanks for listening.